Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. community. We uh, are about Jesus. We're about the gospel. And RUF is a place to explore Christianity if it's new to you. And it's a place to grow and uh, hopefully become more like Jesus and grow in love as we look at God's word together. And that's what we're going to do tonight as we continue in our series in Philippians. Uh, In this series, we're calling Joy in a World Gone Flat because uh, Paul... The Apostle Paul, St. Paul, is writing this from prison uh, to a church in Greece uh, in a place called Philippi. And uh, it's amazing that he always is talking about joy, even though he's in prison. And uh, so uh, we're going to continue through tonight, and we're going to look at this amazing passage in Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. So let me read it for us. Uh, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on, and, and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, let me pray again. O oh God, as we come now to your word, we pray for your guidance. We pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts and make us different, and we pray uh, that you would use it to make us more like Jesus and set us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is week, what, four of the semester? And what's going on in week four is that everyone is kind of like dying slowly, right? That's kind of just like the vibe on campus that I'm noticing and Uh, It's that time of the semester when things get a little harder, maybe you have gotten a little busier, maybe some exam grades have come back that have not been super awe-inspiring in any way. And uh, what I've noticed at UConn is that uh, when this time of the semester hits, it's hard to stay invested in everything, right? It's hard to care about people around us. It's hard. It's really hard to be thinking about God, faith, 
how God fits into my life, the fact that God is even real or with me. And it's a little easier to be like less on guard against evil, temptation, all these things. It's a little easier to be less aware of God's presence and people around us. And that's really why Paul's writing this letter. Like, I don't know if you've noticed as we've gone through this letter, like Paul didn't write this church to address some like major conflict. Like a lot of times he writes a letter and it's like very obvious why he's writing. Uh, But in this place called Philippi, it's not really like that. Uh, He's not writing to address like some major problem, but he is writing to remind this church, this group of people that the world is too perilous and the gospel is too important and too glorious just to kind of become stagnant and kind of just let it go. And so here in chapter 2, this passage we just read, Paul hones in specifically on the importance of community in this uh, endeavor. And so we're going to look at the idea of community tonight in this passage. And so I want us to just look at first the importance of community, especially in these first couple of verses. So if you look at the beginning up there, there's these if statements, right? It's like, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, this long string of if statements, and it's used to remind these Philippians of who they are. Uh, he's reminding them of, that they've been brought into union with Christ. Like, they've been brought, they were outsiders, but they were brought in, and now they have nothing to fear because they belong to Jesus. Uh, they can be encouraged because uh, though they were formerly enemies of God, through Jesus they've been saved, and now the God of the universe is for them. He lives to bless them. And it's not just their formal status that's changed, but they've been brought into the love of the Trinity, and now, now they live it out as this body of Christians in the church. And, uh, you know, I uh, am a parent now, and if you asked me a couple, like, a few weeks ago when we were still coming back from break and stuff, a lot of people were like, Lucas, how was your, you know, that's the first conversation you have with people. It's like, how was your break? And some of you asked me how my break was. And I was probably like, it was kind of horrible. And uh, part of the reason it was horrible is because my kids coughed for like two and a half weeks straight. And it was just this like never ending virus. And we tried antibiotics. There were multiple doctor trips. You know, coughs get really bad at night, so our kids are having trouble sleeping. And as a parent, you know, what I've learned is, like, so much of your happiness, so much of how your life is, your own experience, is tied to how your kids are doing. And you kind of, like, live to comfort your kids. And so over a break, we were like, okay, what can we do for these kids? Like, can we prop them up at night? Will that help? Is there, like, some cough syrup that you can give to, like, little kids? Uh, Can we go to the doctor again? What will help these kids get better? And what you need to see in this passage, especially in this first verse, is that that's what God's like toward us. You need to think about God being that way toward us and derive comfort from that. Um, It talks about participation in the Spirit, which means, among other things, that we've been brought into the very heart of God. And now we live out this fellowship together, um, think about God having sympathy. Do you ever think about God having sympathy toward you or affection? These, you know, like 
That he would have affection and sympathy toward rebellious sinners was unheard of in Paul's day. But that's exactly who we worship. The God of the universe feels for you. It's saying he cares about your life. And we live this out as a community of Christians. And so verse 1 is saying, like, if this is all true, and it is, then what? He says, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, if the gospel is true, if Christians really are God's people, then we need to be marked by vibrant, close-knit community. I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan. Anybody a Star Wars fan here? Several Star Wars fans. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, the first three are really good. The second three are kind of like, eh, you know, that go before the first three. And then, uh, but the most recent ones are, I thought have been pretty good. And The Force Awakens, which is like the first new, new one, uh, it introduces this character, Finn. And Finn is, he's escaped from the First Order, so he was a stormtrooper, but he somehow like escaped, and uh, he just like fi- runs into Rey, who is kind of into the resistance against the First Order, and so she's like, Finn, are you in the resistance? And he's like obviously into her. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm in the resistance. And, and then he starts to like build up this persona, like I'm kind of a big deal in the resistance. And he doesn't know really anything about the resistance. And at the same time, he's also this like jumpy, nervous dude. And so when he meets Han Solo later in the movie, who is a big deal, uh, he's like, I'm kind of a big deal in the resistance. And, and it's so obvious to Han Solo that Finn isn't who he says he is just because he's like this jumpy, nervous kid. Okay, because being jumpy and nervous doesn't fit with being a big deal in the resistance. Okay, lack of community does not fit with this stuff. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy, these great blessings of life lived out in the truth of the gospel. Okay, community must follow from those things. If we're not drawn into each other's lives in a deep way, if we can't get along with each other, if we can't love one another, then it means that we must be pretending at all that other stuff. And so true, close-knit community is really the litmus test of the gospel. It's so important for the church. It's, so, it's why our, we want to be a community in RUF, because it's central to living out the gospel. And so I want to look now at the characteristics of community we see in this passage and just acknowledge that like this isn't a call to like be a cult, okay? Uh, so I, I could see reading this and being like really like just one everything, agree on everything, like I don't think that's possible. Uh, one writer puts it this way, he says, this doesn't imply drab intellectual uniformity like a cult, Uh, Rather, the Philippians are to use their diverse gifts in an agreeable, cooperative spirit with a focus on the glory of the Lord. Um, So that's the kind of unity and community that it's talking about. It doesn't mean we're all the same in every way. It's not this like robotic unity. It's more about like being committed to one another. 
having each other's back. It's about assuming the best about everyone's intentions and because we're all on the same mission. We're all, all Christians are about glorifying the king and spreading the gospel. And verses three and four kind of give us a little more on this characteristics of the community that Paul's talking about. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, the key word there is humility, right? Um, And he contrasts humility with selfish ambition or conceit. So to understand what humility is, it's important that we look at some of those things. Um, Because humility doesn't mean to think less of yourself. It doesn't mean, like, I actually think I'm a worse person than you. Uh, But it's actually the opposite of things like conceit and selfish ambition. And conceit is a word, uh, if you have an old version of the Bible and you've read this verse, you might have heard it called vainglory before. It's translated from this Greek word, which is kinodoxia, which means empty glory. Okay, it's this idea that, like, I have to posture myself and prove myself because deep down I know that there's, I don't matter. I know I, there's nothing that gives me value, and so I live my life to like, prove my value. That's what it means with, by the word conceit. And the person who should come to mind when you think of this is Michael Scott from The Office. Okay? <laughs> think about Michael Scott, right? He doesn't know that he matters, that, his, that he has value, and so he's always, he like, lives to like, prove himself. So when there's like, a Christmas party and everyone's exchanging gifts, like, he buys an iPod. Everyone buys like $30 gifts. He's like, I bought a $250 gift, you know, because he wants to have the best one. Or when his new replacement, Robert California, comes and takes his job and asks for, like he hires someone to come shave him in his office, Michael gets his secretary and he's like, shave me, you know. And so just because he, he has to measure up to everyone around him or he, you know, he hosts... Every year, this award ceremony, the Dundies, which is just this like show to prove that everything he's doing matters. It's just a way to build up his own ego. Okay, so that's that's what we're talking about. And humility is the opposite of that. With humility, I don't have to prove that I matter because I already know that I'm precious to the King to God himself. He saved me at great cost and I know exactly where I stand with him. Uh, He delights in me even though I deserved his condemnation. He lives for my good and so you know, I'm free now to just notice other people. To count them more significant to me. To look not only to my own interests but to the interests of others. And so if you met a really humble person you wouldn't think that person's humble. People who try to like, be humble are actually conceited. You know, to try to get noticed as humble. But if you read, met a truly humble person, what you would think is like, wow, that person seemed really interested in me. Or that person was really kind. They seemed to care a lot about what was going on with me. Right? So it's this, it's this virtue that doesn't really get noticed that much because it's just like, it's humility. It hides. Um, 
So Christ calls each of us to that kind of humility. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's just thinking of yourself less. Being free to think about what's going on with other people. Um, So the implication is we need to know each other to be living this out, right? Uh, If we want RUF to be this kind of community, if we want to build this kind of community that Paul's talking about, if we want to be mature Christians, we need to embark on this mission of just coming to know one another, uh, pursuing those that we haven't connected with, uh, pursuing new people, drawing closer in fellowship to the people we do know, uh, living life together, sharing our hearts with one another. I mean, think about, can you imagine a community where every single person was actually looking to the needs of others rather than their own? And where everyone was counting others more significant than themselves. It would be uns- everyone would want to be a part of that, right? It would be this unstoppable force. It would be a glorious display. Uh, so how can we do it? We're all super different from each other. If you walk around this campus, you'll find you know, so many different kinds of people. There's so many different stories, different ideas, different concerns. And so, you know, is it really possible to, for unified, deep community to exist like Paul's talking about? And that's where we get to the power of community. And surprise, surprise, the power for unity comes from Christ. And that's where we get to, you know, the amazing part of this passage is really like verses through the end, right? It talks about what Jesus has done. It's called the Christ hymn. Uh, people think that like early Christians sang this in worship, uh, the Christ hymn. Um, the summary of it is Jesus is the eternal son of God, uh, but he wasn't always a man. Did you know that like Jesus wasn't always a man and he had eternal glory. He had the highest status you could ever have Uh, He was eternally complete. He had all the wealth, all the comfort, all the security, all the status, everything that we really long for. But rather than grasping it, he willingly let it go. That's what it means by grasping, like holding on to it for yourself. And even though he had all that, he let it go. And what this passage details is that it was a really long, like he came from the highest place to the lowest place, from the throne in heaven to a feeding trough for donkeys in Bethlehem, to like being a Jewish peasant, to dying on the cross naked between two criminals while everyone looked on and mocked him. Okay? No one will ever fall this far. You will not come close. No one in the history of the universe will ever fall that far in status. And it says, therefore, God highly exalted him. Okay? That, like, that response, God highly exalted him, is the way of saying, like, this is exactly what God is like. Uh, his view of greatness is so much different from our view of greatness. In God's kingdom, like stat, if you have a high status, it only exists for the purpose of serving. 
The only point of having a high status is so that you can bring others up, so that you can share what you have. Uh, in our world, status is self-serving, right? Like we gain the status so we can put our feet up. There's actually a parable about this that Jesus tells called the parable of the rich fool. And it shows how foolish that is because we always grasp for more, right? We never have enough and it always eludes us and it makes us insecure. And what it does mostly is prevent us from ever thinking about the people around us. I want, to, I want you to think for a second about what's the status that you grasp? What's the status that prevents you from thinking? You know, what status are you really grasping that prevents you from noticing people? Noticing, hey, maybe someone is hurting, or maybe I should reach out to this person, or, you know, whatever else. What's the status that you grasp? Maybe it's, I want to be noticed. I want to be successful. I want a bright future. I want to have my act together. I want to be rich. I want to be comfortable. And what you need to see is there's nothing like inherently wrong with any of those statuses, but something becomes very wrong when those are things we grasp. In other words, when those are things that we cannot let go of. All right, I want to, I want to think about Jesus here. Why did Jesus let go of his status? Why did Jesus take the plunge and let go of his status? Because it, it was the only way he could grab us. The only way he could grasp hold of us is if he let go of everything. Jesus took the biggest fall. He emptied himself so he could have us. And that's the power for unity. That's the power for community. We can be one. We can put one another's needs before ours uh, because we, we were all people who lost our status. Like We were all nothing until God, the God of the universe, thought about us and wanted us, even though we had fallen so far. And he poured out his love on us. Uh, I recently, over the break, saw the movie Beautiful Boy. Anybody see this movie? I think it was showing in the movie theater downstairs act recently. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Good movie. Interesting movie if you want to see it. It's the story of a father and his son who's addicted to crystal meth. And the son is played by Timothée Chalamet, uh, who's a hot young actor who many of you probably know. And... Uh, it's a story, you know, the son gets addicted to drugs. You know, he starts out with some other lesser drugs and eventually gets addicted to crystal meth. And he's just, like, destroying his life. And he does things like steal out of his younger sibling's piggy bank to buy drugs, like seven or eight bucks, uh, because he's so addicted. And uh, so he's using his father and stepmother's generosity to just ruin his life. Uh, he... His parents try to help him get into rehab. He keeps on getting out. It just happens over and over again. He is just like destroying his life and destroying his parents. And the father in the movie, played by Steve Carell of The Office, uh, does an amazing job of showing the love of a father to his son. And what it looks like is just like relentlessly pursuing his son. And he goes on this like 
research project to learn everything there is about crystal meth. And he's like studying it. He's asking experts what it does. He's trying to figure out every way he can to help his son. And at one point in the movie, he actually goes down to like the sketchiest part of town and buys some crystal meth and tries it himself, which is like one of the most dangerous things you could ever do because it's so addictive so that he can understand his son better, so that he can help his son, ultimately. I don't know what your conception of God is, but God is a lot like that. Like times a billion, though, right? We are the recipients of love like that. It's a love that's willing to be destroyed, you know, a He was willing to be destroyed to have us. Uh, Jesus didn't give a portion of his life or like dedicate some of his time for us, but he gave all there is to give. He lives to bless us. And it's in that power that we become like him. And it's in that power that we can live for the good of people around us instead of ourselves. It's in that power that we can notice people instead of only knowing what's going on in my life and the concerns I have. It's in that power that we can really love. It's the only power for love. And so uh, let me close by praying that God would work that power into our hearts. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are very quick to uh, look to well what do I need today and what about my future and my needs and my wants and cares and and really be consumed by those and uh, we pray uh, that this power for community would be unleashed in our hearts we pray that we would know something more of the love of Christ, which uh, is willing to give up everything to have us. And I pray that we'd be able to extend that to others. I pray that we'd persevere in that, even as the semester gets busy and we feel the pressure of uh, all the things that a semester in college brings. Uh, Would you continue to pursue us in love uh, so that we might uh, pursue this life that you call us to? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.